What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Coffee Bar Podcast, episode number five, I think. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm Garrett. Jesse. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been a couple weeks since we've recorded, but uh, we are happy today to get uh, one of the guests that I was excited to bring on. <laughs> I know we've been trying for a couple weeks. I know we're busy. Coronavirus, not ideal. But uh, finally got him on, Mr. Jeremy Jersa himself. How's it going? He's like, God <laughs> damn it. These guys are pumping me up. <laughs> Jeremy was actually, I guess, the first friend you sort of told me about. I mean, I've never met him I until did. today. Yeah. But we were on the, um, we were on 83 going into Baltimore City. Yeah. And there's those crabs painted on those silos. Oh, yeah. Somehow that led to your friend who's an artist. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> He's like, You're like, yeah, you know those bags you get Chinese food in? He paints yeah. those. <laughs> I think I think it was before you came out with the t shirts. Mm -hmm. So I think you were uh actually before you came with the hats, I think you were doing a t shirt. Um and with the pins. That's when I was like, dude, these things are legit. <laughs> um but yeah. Uh so we got Jeremy on, uh I'm going to do a little intro for him. So one thing I feel like we've been doing is allowing you guys, like the guests to introduce himself. I didn't realize this because I'm not a guest is I can't imagine trying to pump myself up. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, in second grade, we're like, everybody tell everybody three things about yourself. It's like really weird. Like, well, my favorite color is blue and no, but, uh, so Jeremy is a friend of mine that I've known since I was 11 or 12, played soccer together, sports with him, sports against him. Rival high schools growing up. Um, I don't, so I, I don't know the schools you went to, but I know you're a well-educated man. Uh, and you are a educator at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're a professor. Um, artist, phenomenal artist. We'll get in that a little bit, a lot of it. Um, studied at Micah, I know. Studied in Florence. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, studied at University of Penn. Yes. Uh, like I said, well-educated man. Very educated. <laughs> a lot more educated than I am, especially when it comes to the stuff he's about to show off. Big brain. I, I just got wowed five minutes ago by something <laughs> I thought for this whole entire time was something completely different. Yeah, um, I mean, so I guess normally we recommend you're a listener, watch whatever you prefer, but this is an episode yeah, that you might is, benefit from actually watching This is definitely a watch, watch episode for sure. Um, I, I looked at his, his website, jeremyjersa.com. Jeremy spelled normally. J-I-R-S-A dot com. Uh, dude, he's got so many pictures of artwork. Sick. Con uh, right now, uh, you're in a gallery at Towson, right? Um, yeah, I have a, a show up right now at uh, Towson University. It's uh, with me and several other uh, Baltimore artists. Uh, the show's called Into the Void. So it's all about kind of this place of absence within society. Um, and... It's a it's a pretty interesting show. It's really weird though because you can see it online. You can go to Towson University uh, Galleries dot com and uh, or tu Galleries dot com mm -hmm. and look at a three sixty view of the gallery since no one's really yeah. <laughs> allowed in there right now. Or you can make an appointment to go yeah. see it. Um, it was my first time by appointment to go see it last week yeah. or a couple days ago actually. Yep. Um, 
what is time during coronavirus? That's it, yeah. <laughs> it's a black um, hole at this point. And it was really strange because I'm in there for the first time, seeing all these works up in there, kind of exploring mm-hmm. the space. Um, and then it's just me and this gallery assistant. And it's just completely <laughs> awkward. Yeah. So how did you how did you get the art there? Did you like ship it to them? Or? <laughs> um, I, I loaded up a truck and from my studio to the five by five panels in the back, drove them down there, brought them in. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, you're wide range <laughs> when it comes to size of artwork. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've made works that are three inches by three inches, and paintings that are ten foot by ten foot. I, was, I will say, I, I'm. I was. We were actually at uh, her parents' house last night. Shannon from the girls' room. Let me give a shout out. Girls' room. room. Also, let us know what you think about these airbrush designs. We're all pretty pumped about them. Ocean, <laughs> Ocean City Boardwalk. Feeling like we're twelve again. Um, yeah, we will. <laughs> check the Instagram. I threw a boomerang up there. Um, so we were over there last night, and I was saying, like, hey, I'm really excited that, you know, we're having you on today. And I was talking about your uh, car sales, the car sales guy that you made. Oh, the wacky, wavy. Yeah, inflatable. the wacky, wavy. Wacky, like, yeah. wavy, inflatable tube men. That guy. Yeah. Right? And you made that. And But it was all, it was, he was like his own separate piece, like standing up off of another piece of artwork. But it was huge. Yeah, yeah. I remember asking you, I was like, how large is that? You were like, it's like an additional seven feet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that was an interesting piece. I made that uh, I made that during grad school while I was out at UPenn. And I was trying to bring in a bit of a dark humor mm-hmm. to my work. So I was getting more and more away from realism and kind of pushing into the more conceptual aspects of my work um, and trying to figure out how to bring these two worlds together. Uh, so when I was making that piece, I, I saw the wacky, wavy, inflatable arm guy as, as such a kind of tragic figure in a way. He, he's always on display. He's always smiling. But as soon as you pull that cord, he just deflates. And, <laughs> and, and what is he feeling yeah. kind of thing? Uh, and I grew up like 20 feet from behind a uh, used car <laughs> dealership. Yeah. So I saw it all the time. I saw one of those things. Um, and then... I came back in grad school to visit my dad and he was gutting a deer in the backyard. And I thought, what a interesting kind of juxtaposition uh, to have this wacky wavy V inflatable arm guy in front. And then the longer you sit with this, you start to realize, okay, something more is happening here. And it's kind of like a night scene. And then in the background, um, once you finally make it out, there's this man gutting a deer. Um <laughs> So kind of thinking about what does that mean in terms of uh, what's happening internally within the average person, these kind of dualities within life. That's really cool. That is really cool. And the thing is like, and it's, uh, I remember that piece because of the largest like thing I've ever seen somebody actually make. And like you post a picture and you're standing next to it. I'm like, I mean, you're going to bust out ladders and like, there's, I mean, you know, it's not an easel. You're not just putting an easel up and painting it. Like you're, it's days of work being oh, yeah. on different sides of the canvas all the time. It's pretty sick. Yeah. I, my all time favorite piece. I'll tell you that one in a second, which I'm pretty, <laughs> I know I've told you that before, but, um, but yeah, dude. So when I was going through your website, uh, not me, Shannon, uh, brought up the point of, you said something in there in like 2010 about the army. Uh, um, and she was like, was he in the military? I'm like, uh, not that I know of. <laughs> no, I wasn't in the military per se. I was uh, I was a civilian working for the Department okay. of Defense. Okay. So right out of high school, 
I, uh, the summer out of high school, I started working on a drill rig for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And so I went up and down the East Coast and I'm uh, drilling in dams, drilling on kind of sites where they're going to be um, putting new construction, you know, taking soil samples, seeing if okay. it's viable, uh, checking for leaks on top of national park dams and things like that. Um, so that's what I was doing straight out of high school. And then as college started to start um i'm like i can't really go out on the road anymore so they offered me a desk job and i worked that throughout high school i mean throughout college throughout college yeah nice yeah i i she said it and i was like you know what i honestly i wouldn't put it against him you know what i mean because I, like i know like was it, it was a Patowski or dundalk had like a big jrtc mm-hmm. thing and i was like you know, it wasn't a thing at spares point so i, yeah. I couldn't I definitely couldn't say I had any thought about that, but I was like, maybe he was in JROTC in high school or something like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah, I was, not, I was sure. not. You were not. <laughs> yeah. Not. But yeah, we'll clear the air right now. Fact check. <laughs> not in the army. <laughs> nice, man. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like I said, that was when we went to high school, like that 2010 era, that was like, uh, I'm a I really, baby. Oh, you are a baby. Yeah, he's young and 2015 high school guy. <sighs> Cheers. Five-year reunion. We're celebrating that 10 right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm in charge of my 10-year reunion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's been a headache because, you know, it's, it's looking like 11-year reunion. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's yeah. exactly what it's going to be. And uh, there have been some people that have uh, been really upset about it. And I'm like, it's a global pandemic. Yeah. What do you, what <laughs> do you want me to do? What do you want from me? I guess I'm kind of in that situation, too, where I'm the only one that has access to our account with all our savings money for, like, reunions and really? stuff. Were you on, like, the... Student government? Thing is, I wasn't. My parents were extremely involved. Wow. None of the student government kids like, actually cared. Wanted, actually cared uh, or, like yeah. stepped up to do that. We so actually, my parents made an account, and it was originally going to be me and one other guy, but I'm the only one that was there to sign the paper. So wow. So Jesse got all his money. <laughs> <sitting around. laughs> we're out here shelling out cash. Wondering how we got all this podcast <laughs> equipment. <laughs> It was not uh, paid any, for. Anybody listening from a Petco <laughs> class of 2010, we have no money. Yeah, we have uh, so. no money. <laughs> We're actually in debt. <laughs> <laughs> we owe money. I don't. Who? I, dude, I couldn't even tell you. I know two. I know uh, Kristen Baker and uh, Katie Comer. I know they were on the board. I think they were in charge of it. But I know they they tried to put something together. But dude, COVID's just killing it. You can't get anything. I, like I can't even imagine doing something that big. Like, I know a lot of weddings we were supposed to get to this year. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but yeah, I'd rather do a nice one when it's safe than a, yeah. than a half-ass one. And then exactly, people are like, "Oh, I'm not going to show up to the 11 year reunion." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be more fun. It's going to be yeah. like you know, what I mean, that added wait time mm-hmm. to get to it. Yeah, I don't know. You always see like, these movies of people having these huge proms and huge. 10-year reunions. I'm like, that's not going to be my high school. <laughs> you know I mean, I remember our five-year reunion was maybe 13 people at Hard Out. Yeah, I, I didn't even do a five-year reunion. Yeah. Um, I just, thought it, it's too close. It is. Yeah. I would say... People are still like, getting their life situated. Mm-hmm. You're going to get your life In situated school. for... Shit, we're <laughs> 10 years out of high school. We're still getting our life yeah, situated. Yeah, I'm still getting right? my life together. <laughs> I mean, I haven't even started, I don't feel like. <laughs> but... No, that's what I was saying. So, like, when we, we, so we went to different high schools, like, ri- like what we would consider rival high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you guys fight over the, uh, the poop plant or whatever? No, <laughs> no, no. We had the Peninsula Cup. Yeah, we did. We had a big trophy, uh, that every sport played all three, like, it was Patapsco, Dunlop, and Spurs Point. We played 
two times against each other, one at your place, one at our place. And for every sport throughout the year and whoever had the most wins got the cup for the following year. Um, which I honestly, I think we had it two years and I think Dundalk had it one year cause they had that mm-hmm. brand new school. And I think you guys yeah. had it one year. We had it my freshman year. Yeah. Um, and then not after that. Dude, Dundalk, when they bought, they built a new school and I'm telling you like a university, like the oh, thing it is looks huge. great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you had kids saying, I don't even want to go to my homeschool. I'm going to Dundalk now. And that's not like a, not a big, people don't just say that. Right. Yeah. But that, that school is beautiful right next to a college campus, yeah. but it had like turf fields. Like and they merged with uh, Sollers. That was it. Yeah. yeah. So they got a technical school. So they got like all like all the people that want to be nurses, all the people that wanted to go to IT, oh, yeah. all them students Weird came there, kind of deal. which was nice because for them, we had 800 students in our high school. They had <laughs> 800 students in their freshman class. Yeah. So it was like, they got the, cream of the crop be able to pick whoever they wanted to play and whatever so yes we kind of back in carroll county we had the battle of the bypass (laughs) so it was my school north carroll and then they built a bypass and then farther down in the neighboring town manchester they built another high school Mm. and that same year they also like redistricted so um north carroll was originally a 4a school which in, I guess, so Maryland school terms to explain to everyone else listening, it goes 4A is the biggest all the way down to 1A, which is the smallest. But with the new high school plus redistricting, um, both North Carroll and the new school Manchester Valley became 1A schools. Wow. (laughs) So we were kind of like feuding in Carroll County while all the other schools in Carroll County were 3A and just destroys it everything. (laughs) But it's nice though, because when you guys went to like regional and states you guys got yeah we did we would do really well at like yeah. regional stuff that was one thing that sucked with patapsco because we were we were we were considered 4a yeah, that's insane. but on the lower scale yeah. of it so we didn't have as much of a crop to pull from you know what we were a 1a school <laughs> yeah we were a 1a school but what screwed us is in soccer the girls team was so good that i don't for soccer we got it might have been my senior year we got bumped to 2a oh Gotcha. And it was like, dude, we can't compete in two A. Eh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like I mean, we went to one state championship, but the girls went every year. Mm-hmm. I was like, just because they go doesn't mean the whole like <laughs> right. our tennis team ain't that good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what are you guys doing to us? Yeah. So yeah. I make sure when I talk about like my track state titles and my cross country success, I like leave out those. No, you want to? Hey, that does not <laughs> matter. Success is success. That's insane. Yeah. So I mean, me and Jeremy know each other from sports i would say that's how we met how we've always kind of i mean shit we just had a conversation downstairs (laughs) about about rugby rugby. you know i mean so when did you make that transition from soccer into rugby um so i originally got into rugby my freshman year of college and uh when i started i was actually at towson um so a lot of people don't really know this about me but i I started at towson and i had an opportunity to play lacrosse there um which i turned down because i found out very quickly i would have been there just to play lacrosse being you know Mm. d1 school kind of all that kind of stuff and first in my family to go to college i I couldn't do that. I mean, I was having conversations with the coach who was Tony Seaman at the time. Um, and the program was in transition anyway. And, and he was like, well, what do you think about being a business major and, and all this mm. kind of stuff? It works out better with our practice schedule. And I'm like, <laughs> nah. Uh, and I was an art education major at that time. Um, so I would have been there for five years for undergrad. And at this point, I'm like, okay, well, I'm here. 
I'm going to do something. I always loved rugby. You can attest to how physical I played yeah. soccer and, 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 and the other he, sports. He was a rugby yeah. player just playing soccer. I mean, <laughs> um, it may have not been a transition. It was just yeah. went from like feet to I just to found the right, the right yeah. fit. Yeah. Um, so started playing rugby. Um, but then I realized very quickly I wasn't getting what I wanted out of my classes at Towson. Um, I wanted to double, they had just put in a bachelor's of fine arts at that time. And I wanted to double major with the art education and bachelor's of fine arts. And at this point, I'm on a first name basis with uh, heads of department, head of the uh, art program in general. And uh, they're not liking me too much. They're Mm -hmm. like, you know, we really don't let the art education majors take this many art classes. We think it'll be a little too stressful for you. And I'm like, you don't really have the ability to make that call. Um, You don't, you don't know me. Um, So I contacted all the schools that I was accepted to. And Micah got back to me very quickly. And they're like, we'll give you the same amount of scholarship money if you come in the spring. I'm like, sick. Fuck it. I'm there. Yeah. Um, So I ended up going and. uh, Does Micah have rugby? Micah, (laughs) Micah did not have rugby, but fun fact though, we, uh, most of our academics went through Hopkins. So Mm. I was able to play club lacrosse at Hopkins, which I did. Uh, throughout undergrad so it was still it's pretty cool I was still staying active <laughs> with it um and then when i went to grad school um the second time because <laughs> i have That's what I was like, well educated man. yeah two, very educated two master's degrees um, <laughs> when i when i went to penn um i needed that kind of camaraderie in my life um and rugby being such a sport that has a place for every body type, every person, every type of athleticism possible in one um, place. And you you can't win without um, supporting the guy next to you. Mm-hmm. There's so many sports you can play where if you have two great guys, you can, you can be kind of set. Yeah. Uh, rugby, you really need to be supporting and pulling your weight the entire time. Otherwise, the whole, whole team fails. Yeah. Um, so I needed that in my life because I – Went through a really kind of dark time, found the Wharton Rugby Club, um, which is based in the grad schools at UPenn, um, and I was in Penn Design, so I was able to play, and I've been playing with them ever since. There's a Sick, there's a loophole in the rules uh, <laughs> mm. because of the loose affiliation with the school um, where alumni are allowed to play, and based on the leagues that we play in, we still play other men's clubs and other graduate schools, so... That's cool. Been playing That's with great. them ever since. Yeah, I was wondering that because we were talking about it downstairs and you were saying how that team kind of is in like uh, three, I wouldn't say divisions, but three leagues. Yeah, basically. Um, and I was like, but I know you played in college. Yeah. So I'm like, how does a, a collegiate sport mm-hmm. become a, like a tri-league, like you can play in other leagues yeah, that aren't affiliated with It's perfect college. because it's not, it's not, uh, it's not an NCAA team. Yeah. It's seen as a men's club that just happens to be affiliated with perfect a school at some point yeah that's cool when you were uh talking about the team aspect that makes me think of the movie kicking and screaming oh yeah where they're just like past the italians Italians. (laughs) can't do that in rugby no not at all yeah that's crazy because like like i've seen like well i mean you just got back from a travel i know we talked Mm -hmm. about it shortly but i mean you're traveling Rugby's not American sport, right? So I mean, like, no, not at all. Know, yeah. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're getting. I mean, slowly but surely, slowly, right? yeah. You know, but I mean, you, you were traveling to go play it. Um, I know you've traveled 
to Europe. I know you've traveled to South America. Mm-hmm. Um, I've played I played rugby on four continents. It's so I awesome. played in Europe a couple pickup games here and there, and then uh, I did a tour of South Africa where. Uh, went with my team. We played uh, University of uh, Cape Town. Then we went out to Stellenbosch and we played there. Um, we got there. decimated. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. They're they're currently the. So was uh, our uh, deficit in points? <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, South uh, South Africa. They're currently the uh, hold the World Cup. The Ellis yeah, Cup. So it's them in New Zealand. that are the big ones, right? Um, they're yeah, yeah. They're pretty big. Wales is doing really well. Um, but uh, yeah, and then. During all of COVID, uh, I was actually in Uruguay. So I was doing another rugby tour. I was in Uruguay and, uh, we got to train with the national team, which was really exciting. And then, uh, took a ferry over to Argentina to kind of finish our tour out. Um, and then we get this email from the Argentine government saying that, you know, all sports are canceled. You need to get out as soon yeah. as possible. <laughs> Go home. Um, we had a friend that, uh, had, dinner at the consulate the night before and he's like this is really serious we need to get out now yeah um so we flew over as a team on uh latam airlines which stopped answering calls and weren't doing anything really? when this happened so i eventually had to get a flight out with american and that was uh that was something in itself so we're leaving like five days early yeah and as we're pulling out of the hotel you can see these giant um, kind of construction screens in the street and they it looks like a kind of post-apocalyptic flashing of words going across and it's all in Spanish and I have no idea what the <laughs> hell it says um, but it the synopsis of what it was saying was like you need to get out wear a mask um, use hand sanitizer I'm like okay cool I don't know what it is, says I just know it's going down yeah this like is something's scary. happening and uh, we get to the airport finally you know get on a flight and we're sitting there ready to board and as we're literally being called up to board it starts flashing on the screen that our flight is delayed 24 hours we're like what the fuck's going on this is this is weird and i look over and there's this guy in a like a flight outfit that's like almost green i'm like there's no way there's no way and he like gets up and walks on the plane um this actually happened before they flashed on the the screen that it was delayed so he gets on there and we're like, there's no way he's our he's our pilot. This is ridiculous. There's yeah. this can't be real. Um, and then that's when it flashed up. Like our flight's canceled. Apparently, after talking to the people at the desk, um, they said he took a test earlier that morning and had tested positive for COVID. What? So they brought in like this these this group of people in hazmat suits. They started wiping down the plane. Damn. We're freaking out. Yeah. We start hopping from kind of any American flight that's just getting to America. Yeah. We just want to, if we're flying into Miami, if we're yeah. flying into Fort Worth, it's anything just to get our feet on the ground here. Um, they're all like, no, we won't take you. We're like, great. So what do we do? Um, eventually, we go through, kind of go back through customs, you know, get rechecked into yeah. our uh, – Argentina and the hotel's like if you come back we haven't touched your rooms you already booked throughout the next you know five days so you can come back to your room if you want mm-hmm. so we come back to our room next day go back to the airport we're about to board and we're like oh is this is this real mm-hmm. <laughs> are we actually going to make it home um and we were nervous up until the point where kind of we got out of Argentine airspace that we were like okay we're, we're flying back. We're um, stopping now. And we also got a, uh, we were told 
because we were flying into JFK. We're like, there's going to be all these extra things. You're going to be wiped down. You're going to be tested with temperature and all kind of stuff. Um, it's the fastest I've ever gotten through. Really? International just like, airport. get out of here. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they had a whole area set up where um, it was supposed to be for COVID testing, and it was just empty. It was a ghost town. Really? They're like, get in, get out. We don't want to touch you. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I don't know. I haven't left Baltimore. Well, I've, I can't say that. I've gone to the beach, but I haven't left Maryland, you know, but you hear like all these things that are happening and people that are getting tested and how they're like taking extra precautions. But you go into stores, nobody's doing that. Nobody's following the arrows on the floor. Nobody's <laughs> wiping down anything, you know? So it's like it par for the course. Yeah, you really gotta, like, look out for your own. Oh, yeah. Like when we went to the beach, like we took our own cleaner wipe down everything we would ever touch. Yeah. You know, like our own pillows, you know, it's, you have to be precautious cause you really must be able to trust the word of somebody else. I mean, like we don't do that already. Right. Right. So how am I supposed to trust somebody that I don't know? That's crazy. I remember seeing that on your Instagram. Like you were just like, well, we might get out today. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> that sucks. I could always swim back. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's a <laughs> With that endurance of rugby for sure. <laughs> oh man, dude. That's insane. But, uh, dude, I'm, I'm actually just still trying to, uh, comprehend your trip to South Africa because like, I hear people go back going to Africa, but yeah. I can, like, I understand that South Africa is like this, like, uh, like major cities and stuff like that. I just always imagine like Sahara desert, like big wide open, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there are parts. I mean, really we, like when that. we went to, uh, Stellenbosch, it's kind of more out into kind of like a less populated area, mm-hmm. um, but we're and they're they're all speaking, you know, Afrikaans as we're playing. Yeah. So we're playing against a team that doesn't speak English, mm-hmm. which was the first time that that ever happened. Because yeah. before that, I played a couple games in in Europe, but I never played. Um, you know, they were all speaking English. Mm-hmm. So when I go to South Africa, they're speaking Afrikaans, which is kind of like this mix of Dutch, a little bit of English, and then you throw in some of the native African languages just from them being kind of taken over mm-hmm. time after time. Um, invaders coming in and then you know taking over yeah. yeah um so that was really strange uh and then i had another do- dose of it you know a couple months ago when i was in mm-hmm. uruguay That's, i was like honestly the, the weirdest part for me was when i played in college it's like the melting pot you got oh like, yeah even in community college yeah. like soccer man we had people like i remember playing against uh, my freshman year we went up to new jersey and played against um wasn't it was a team called Burlington? I ended up playing another team in Cincinnati, it was like Cincinnati Tech, uh, and they were speaking Scottish, Dutch, like they pulled people, mm-hmm. like they were actually like how D one schools would like go out and scout mm-hmm. right. a community college in Cincinnati with scouting people <laughs> and do yeah. like they, but they all like even though I couldn't understand any of them, like they all spoke this, like they all talked well mm-hmm. and i was just like dude this is insane it was like it's crazy like it's another like sports is another language yeah you just you feel what the other teammates are feeling like you just give it <laughs> we got a uh on, on my team i've had you know i've had people from nigeria play on my team i've had people from uh south africa i've had people from england ireland uh, wales um a couple guys from chile currently play on the team but it's it's great having this you know, universal language of an athletic activity, yeah. um, something that you can all communicate through. Um, it's like camaraderie. Yeah. So got, yeah. 
That's and it's also great to show up and you know if we're playing a all American team, and you know we got a couple of the British voices out there, mm-hmm. a couple Australians. <laughs> oh, that's offsetting right off the like, jump. Oh, wait, wait, we wait are. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Who are we playing again? <laughs> I, nah, I, I'm feeling kind of sick. Yeah. When I played middle school basketball, I was in a private school league because oh. I was in private school at the time. We played Maryland School for the Death. And they were fucking good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. They don't need to talk. Yeah. They, just, they know. It's- they would just be like sitting right for inbound pass. They'd look at their coach. He'd throw some like sign language out and they'd just like nod. And then they'd like, you know. Just run their route. <laughs> yeah. Done. Whip it around and mm-hmm. like That's get wild. easy layup. And it's like, okay. okay. Well, <laughs> I don't want to play these guys. <laughs> my, my hamstring's hurting. I think I, I need to sit out. <laughs> yeah. We actually got destroyed. <laughs> Uh, and I guess in college for intramural soccer, um, there was a team of all uh, Nigerian students, mm-hmm. and they were so funny. <laughs> I feel like even club, like clubs, in my opinion, are sometimes better than the actual like like collegiate teams. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. like the clubs. Like I don't remember UMBC. I mean, well, UMBC soccer was great, but like the club soccer team they had at UMBC yeah. was still very. It's because we're good. UMBC is a very diverse school. Very, yeah. So like kids from. I don't know how you live in a different country and you hear of UMBC of all places, yeah. but it, it happens. Yeah. It was the most like diverse place I've ever been. It's funny because we were able to experience so many different cultures there. Because I did a semester at UMBC and then a semester at Towson. I was like, you know what? I don't need to be in college anymore because <laughs> it's just, I'm wasting money. But when I was like, when you said Towson, like, oh, you, you want to sign up for so many art classes, we don't recommend you doing that. UMBC was like, oh, you want six classes? How about seven? Like, they would <laughs> yeah. be like, more is better. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, you, I remember taking UMBC class. I was taking two history classes, two science classes. And I was like drowning in books, like reading materials. Yeah. I, like, I remember the first, I had a Civil War history class. Civil War was three years, four years. I, okay, a lot happened, but he assigned me 11 books for the semester. I'm like, 11 books? I'm like, bro, it was four years long. <laughs> like, I got Latin American history. She assigned me seven. And that lasted, like, 90-some years. Yeah, it's I was like, You're, it's crazy. So, like, there are over 18 credit hours. You have to get approval. But I'm pretty sure for that approval, you just have to bring it up. Like, everyone I've experienced, they've never been told now. I'm sure that guy just closes his eyes and signs that paper. <laughs> He's just like, all right. It's like, yeah, I want to take 30 credit hours. Sounds great. He's like, cool. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. I mean, if you fail, we're still getting paid. Exactly. So. Yep. That's exactly it, man. That was one of my biggest problems with Towson. I'm like, how, how are you making this judgment call? Yeah. You know, if, if I'm paying for it, if I think I can take on the stress, why are you denying this? Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Because I feel like you know they want people in and out, get that turnover rate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's the same amount of money, I'm sure, no matter what. That's insane. Yeah. All right. So I, I love talking about sports, but I definitely want to talk about more about like you as an artist, your art that you have. Um, I want to know what, how you got into it. Right. Cause when we were young, I didn't, uh, I didn't know that was the path you were going to take, mm-hmm. you know? So like what got you into art? Um, you know, how, when did you first know, Hey, I want to be an artist. Yeah. Uh, so art is something that I always did. Um, literally since, uh, since I was little, um, drawing Pokemon, drawing Digimon, <laughs> yeah. all that kind of stuff. I would, I'd make comic strips with monsters and things like that. Um, and then when I got to middle school, uh, I went to Parkville, which had an art magnet. Um, 
but I kind of worked it out so that I was able to do the art magnet and the engineering eventually kind of my whole time there because I, even at that time I was still like, um, there's, I'm not going to be an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and around that time, my Tourette's actually started to get worse and worse. Um, so as my Tourette's and my anxiety started to get higher and higher, I found kind of an outlet in art. Um, and then from there, I kind of had the decision, am I going to go to Eastern Tech and do engineering? Or am I going to go to Patapsco and do art for four years? And I thought to myself, <laughs> looking back, it, it's the total opposite of what I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I thought to myself, you know what, do I want to be stressed out doing engineering for four <laughs> years? Or do I want to enjoy doing art for four years? Yeah. And I said to myself, I'm going to enjoy doing art. Turns out it's the most stressful thing you'll ever do <laughs> I can imagine. in your life. Yeah. Um, and so I started to get into it more and more. And I eventually kind of found, but I knew I wanted to do something creative uh, career path wise. But even when I was made it to Micah and I'm there kind of doing the whole artist path thing, I never really called myself an artist. Um, it was always just kind of something I did that I was good at, but how could I, what did I have to say? Mm -hmm. Um, so I started during my time at Micah, I was, I took on this kind of role of an anthropologist and I, I identified where I'm from as kind of a subculture. And I started to look at it that way and what, what kind of makes up that area and in turn, what makes up me. So I'm kind of discovering my identity as I'm thrown into this art school where it's very, um, you know, it's affluent. There's a lot of really rich kids and I, I didn't know how to cope with that. Um, I didn't know, um, you know, how certain factions of our society functioned. Um, so by viewing where I came from, I thought I could understand my background better. Um, so I started to do that and I was making these drawings, kind of pulling out different parts of that kind of Dundalk society. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's colorful, it's brilliant, it's depressing, it's, um, it's, it's the fabric of what makes me, me. Are you describing um, Dundalk or your artwork? Uh, Dundalk, <laughs> Dundalk, yeah. Like, they, they, that sounds spot on. Um, yeah. and then from there, I, uh, at this point it was probably into my sophomore year of college. Um, and then I studied abroad in Florence. So I was at, uh, Studio Arts College International, um, in Florence, Italy. Um, so I was there for about six months in total, um, probably about four and a half, five months of schooling. Um, and while I was there, I thought to myself, you know, I, I can't keep making these drawings about my hometown when I'm surrounded by, you know, the Mecca of art history and I'm basically 5,000 miles away. Um, so what, what do I have to say? What can I actually make work about? That's when I kind of turned back in on myself, excuse me, and started making work about my Tourette's. So I started kind of going into that kind of spaces of the mind, corners of the mind, exploring um, this interior uh, kind of world and how I could express that through imagery. Um, and sometimes even just through a brushstroke, what does that brushstroke mean in relationship to an emotion? Um, kind of serendipi serendipitously? That's a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> Serendipitously. You've been uh, throwing out some big words. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> um, sounds great. I'm eating it up right now. There was a show by <laughs> Good Fr Francis Bacon um, <laughs> that was at the Strozzi. 
and I went and I, I saw this show and it was all the artists that are kind of contemporary, contemporary artists that are working in kind of the same vein as Francis Bacon and uh, how his influence of finding these psychological spaces influenced their work and how this could uh, change that. So I feel like that was a really seminal moment for me because I felt as though what these artists were doing in paint, what they were doing in sculpture, what were they doing in kind of light and how they alter space and how the viewer enters the the gallery was everything I wanted to do in, in my artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got back to the States, I continued to explore this realm because I realized it was something that I had to say that, um, not many people could articulate and I couldn't even articulate it. The, the experience of being stuck in a tick through my Tourette's and, and what that feels like being trapped within your own body. And, and how can I express these words, um, these images, these feelings, um, to an audience? So to answer your question, it was, <laughs> I, um, I forgot my question. I'm it was, gonna, it was read? a lot of, uh, I'm glad you remembered it. <laughs> it was a lot of therapy. Um, yeah. so art became therapy for me. And then that therapy became my everyday life. Um, I realized very quickly that I, I, I honestly can't function if I'm not at some point making something creatively. If I'm not, if I don't have this outlet, it's not, it's not working for me. Um, and during my time at MICA, I never really, got into the whole mica funkiness. Um, mica, there's a lot of experimentation, a lot of um, different types of painting that people just explore, try things out, throw it all at the wall. That's why I want to ask you, what's your favorite media too? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so I, at that point, was into hyper-realism. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to do everything to the T. I'm going to learn all these rules so I can learn how to break them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went straight into realism no holds bar. Everything was observation. Everything was figurative. Everything was set in real life. Um, and that was the same kind of academic background. I came through going to Patapsco mm-hmm. as well. So I was continuing this trajectory. Um, and when I got out of, out of MICA, you know, I got my master's in teaching there, but that's a, kind of like a side story. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's a during, short tidbit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so during that time, I, I thought to myself, I really need to push the conceptual aspect of my work if I want to make it as a contemporary artist. So I need to be playing with um, more materials. I need to be playing with um, these these concepts uh, more wholeheartedly. So I found Penn. Um, I went to University of Pennsylvania for grad school. And when I was accepted, um, I was honestly like, are you serious? Because <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> I had filled out these applications while I was still in my grad school at uh, Maryland Institute College of Art, getting my master's in teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was going to, you know, go work as a high school teacher for a couple of years, and then eventually I'll get accepted to a master's of fine arts program. But while I'm here, I might as well just kind of apply, see what the process is like. There's no way I'm going to get accepted. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know the art school tier list is Penn, like, mm-hmm. up there. That's what I was yeah. going to ask. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's up there for, for its program. Um, awesome. It's unique in the fact that it's interdisciplinary um it except where where most schools have they have a painting department they have a sculpture department they have performance um and you can get a master's in that you know they have their small cohort um, of students penn has an interdisciplinary program so there were 13 of us but within that 13 we had performance artists we had sculptors we had painters so we were all kind of cross-pollinating each other's Mm -hmm. ideas and i felt as though that was kind of the best way to 
get the best possible product from all these different viewpoints in order to push my work further. Um, and now I feel as though I've only kind of become into that certain stride where I'm bringing this kind of realism world and I'm bringing these concepts together that I developed at Penn. And I finally have a language where I'm, uh, you know, getting out everything it was that I was trying to say with that work that I started back in Florence. I can finally express it in a certain way um, to where people are, are understanding it and they're kind of applying it to their own vision. So it's not necessarily closed off. It's, it's open enough to where you can take what it is that I'm saying um, but yet you can put your own kind of insecurities or anything that you are going through onto the work and, and see that in there. Which is cool. And, cool. And, and I will say it's a good... So I guess, I guess quick pause. Shannon's trying to send us telepathic no, messages. No, so yeah, I wasn't taking on notes. I was just making sure we've had some technical difficulties with the camera. So I want to make sure the, the battery on the camera was good. I can't. And you can't see it. I can't drag it down. <laughs> to see if it's there. Yeah, so I can't. I also, if you do that, it might pause the yeah, thing. Yeah, so we're just gonna have to go with it. Yeah. And hope well, for the best. Anyways, yeah. we're living we're living our life like we always live our life. <laughs> Continue. You know, right? if, if it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. Yeah. Um, shit, dude. I, I, Cleus, I have a question. Yeah. Can think on his. Yeah. Okay. Was Was Florence you. your first experience outside the country? Um, I had went on vacation with my family to Cancun. Um, but that was just kind of like a, a week thing. I was very was 12. It like resort style. Yeah, and, yeah. very. You know, I w- w- didn't really. So Florence was like your anywhere. first like mind opening experience outside. Of oh the yeah, yep. I think it's very great, and if people can afford that, it's something you should really do. It's oh, if you go with an yeah. open mind, you can learn so much from going to a different country. I I went there completely. You know, Dundalk kid from Baltimore. Say for, yeah, and yep. uh, you know, I was open to everything. I learned so much um especially with the amount that i traveled while i was there you know every other weekend i was in a different country i, I yeah help that like blows my mind how like if you're in northern italy you can like drive two hours and go through three oh yeah different countries i mean and- i went to oktoberfest in munich i went to berlin i went to amsterdam i went to paris i went to barcelona um went to belgium kind of name it what was happening there at that time i i, I did it yeah, <laughs> that's cool um time of my life that's awesome literally changed my whole trajectory of what i thought i was going to be doing in this world yeah yeah so, it sounds like before like you were pulling these very you know personal art pieces or like you know stuff that sort of means a lot to you but it might not mean anything to these people in italy or mm-hmm. So, like, you try to, I guess, relate more. And or, it, I guess, sort it's of funny that, uh, in yourself. To it's, yeah, it's funny you bring that up because special. a recent motif that I've been using are, uh, like the, the takeaway bags with the smiley face on it, kind of using that as a, um, a stand in for the, the human body or a stand in for like the masks that we wear on, on a daily basis because they're constantly reaffirming to us to have a nice day while they're once again this tragic figure that's to be used, discarded. Um, it conceals what's inside of it. Um, but the funny thing is they, they don't necessarily have those everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so it's something that's so American. <laughs> yeah. Um, and more and more it's being phased out. So it's kind of like, well, what? Like Red Solo Cups. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so what am I going to latch on to next? And you know, so this is, so I, like, I have two parts to this. One is it's crazy, right? Because like, I've followed you on social media and I've talked to you for years. So I remember the paintings you were doing in high school. I remember everything you, you, you've done up to this point, right? So I've always put of like your emotion you were feeling on social media towards what you were 
portraying in your art. Mm-hmm. But then you have people like Jesse, who's never met you before, doesn't follow you on social media. Right. So now he's getting to see like, okay, these are the, right now. He get uh, that wasn't a call. Out. I wasn't calling Jesse out saying he doesn't know. But now he gets to see you get to explain to him that. And what I thought you felt during that time is completely wrong, right? Because I guess I was trying to view your art through your eyes mm-hmm. instead of actually trying to adapt or like view your art as how I would perceive it. Mm-hmm. That shows a how little I actually know about art. B, like I don't. Uh, I guess I try to feel for the emotion of like the 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 creator mm-hmm. instead of like me trying to feel for my own emotion. Um, but yeah, that's like listening to you tell a story. It's like, holy shit, I was wrong this whole time. You know what well, I mean? Like, I, I will say, I, I do think that, that both of those viewpoints are, are valid. Yeah. You know, um, I, I teach a whole class. Uh, it's called art appreciation. It's an intro to art history class where you're teaching the students how to see art because yeah. they, they come in with kind of this preconceived knowledge, but they're not wrong. Yeah. Um, and there isn't a wrong way to view art. The, what you just kind of mentioned is exactly how I teach my class. You, you, you first look at a piece and you say, okay, do I like it or not? What am I seeing? Mm-hmm. Um, you make your judgment that way. And then you go in and say, okay, well, you, you take it on a more academic purpose and you say, well, what is the artist trying to portray? What are they trying to get across? Mm-hmm. Are they doing it well? Um, what is this in relationship to um, kind of what's come before it in in a uh, art historical context? Yeah. Um, and how are they building on this language that's already happened? Yeah. And I'm circling back because you made the comment of when you were going to Towson and the, uh, the, the rules mm-hmm. per se of art. And in my mind, I was like, I didn't think there were rules. Whatever you wanted to do, man, you do. So I was like, there are outlines to art. Like you have to. I mean, like obviously. Well, I, I meant talking m- about like contemporary so, yeah. and stuff like that. So I guess to fall into a category where a genre, mm-hmm. like what, what I would consider a genre of music, you have to follow some t- type of template. Exactly. So it, it's um, the the easiest way for me to put it would be um, what I did during my time at Micah, just getting into realism, realism, realism would be the same thing as learning classical guitar to the highest point where you could ever play classical guitar with an orchestra. Mm -hmm. Um, And then saying, okay, now I'm going to go play punk music or pop music that you can hear on the radio. And how do I transition this into something that's meaningful for me? Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. That's super cool. I I also feel like maybe art's just like, I mean, I guess as I'm growing up and we are learning that life is, you, you constantly keep learning. Like there is no end point. Right. So, you know, even with it, like it's always, we're always adapting. We're always learning Mm -hmm. new things and art, I guess it's just a forever change. I mean, you can change art tomorrow if you wanted to, like your, whatever your, your style. Yeah. You know what I mean? There could be a new, a new style. Dude, that's, I'm absolutely loving this conversation. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, I guess it's like a learning so much. It's very scary, but like comforting freedom. Yeah. Like I can't go to work and like, just reroute how things that's, work. That's what I'm saying. You can't like what's what's there is there. Well, what's, yeah, that's also comforting that like yeah. things work this way. Yeah, like I know <laughs> I know I have laws that I have to follow. Well, it's uh it's also extremely you know terrifying for yeah. the, for the artist because I mean what you see the artist kind of making um and what they're posting and what's in the gallery you don't see the 300 pieces they made mm-hmm. up until that point mm-hmm. that failed horribly to get to that. Or the the thirty different versions of that sculpture that got to this one final sculpture, yeah. Um, and that's also one thing that factors into, sadly, um, the, the price of that's, art. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of artists have that uh, existential conversation with themselves every day. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm spending all this time on, I'm just using this as an example and this might offend some contemporary artists, but like you, you spend 30 hours talking about the significance of a piece of paper on the ground with a dumbbell on it. Mm -hmm. Um, but no one can see the labor that went into that. Um, kind of lost my train of thought. So like, so for you with like uh, pricing and cost of art versus how much work you put into it, how many trial and errors you've yeah. had. Yeah. And I'll ask a question maybe mm-hmm. to help you circle back to it. At what point in time do you scrap a piece and say, hey, this just ain't cutting it? Is it when you start to feel emotionally like, hey, I don't like the way this is looking? Or do you, and again, I know you're a very emotional person. Do you start to think of how people are going to view that piece of art and say, I don't think it's going to come across the right idea? I I tend not to. I mean, I think about how the audience is going to be taking the work and and in terms of uh, the message that that they're taking and their experience of it. But in my making of it, I'm not saying I'm not worried about how people are going to think of it. So it's just whatever you're feeling. It's it's what I'm making. I I tend to scrap a piece when it gets too far to the point of no return. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that might be that the panel is overworked and I need to sand it down paint over mm-hmm. um the sculpture is just not working um practical yeah. reasons um and, but those ideas they they don't go away those ideas will show up again yeah. and again and again yeah. in a way i feel like i've been making the same painting since i was 15 years old it's just new ways of of portraying that yeah you don't feel like you're actually working man you just feel like you're doing it like what you want oh to it do. feels like work it feels like <laughs> <laughs> oh no but, i see yeah. i saw that post today right before like a Three hours before you came here, yeah, sitting there sweating with a fan, like you're like, dude, it's hot as hell in it's here. It's so hot, but man. I guess it's like an oven that studio. <laughs> for me, it's very comforting to hear that you try to stay true to what you want to express. Yeah. And because I know a lot of artists, like especially in mediums like comics and stuff like that, they fall in the trap where they want people to like it, but they're not really making what they you know, want to themselves. express yeah. or want to really create inside them. There uh, and there's a lot of artists that they they still fall fall into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you get hooked up with a certain amount of gallery representation, you're expected to produce on a certain level, and you're expected to produce the same things that people want to buy. In the end, this is where I was going with it: mm-hmm. the existential crisis. Yeah. Um. In the end, you're making a object that is to be consumed. Mm-hmm. So you have the the monetary value of what it is that you're creating mixed with this lifelong pursuit of what it is you're trying to express and they don't necessarily always collide. Yeah. Um, you're really lucky if they do. No, I mean, and that's, dude, like I said, I, I, uh, I would say a lot of knowledge that I have from art is from viewing it through your eyes on Facebook or, uh, Instagram. Right. So, I mean, and it's a very true statement because, I, I follow no other artists because I don't know any, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, right? Yeah. Okay. Actually, yeah. So I'll, I'll, no, I'll finish up the statement because I, I was also going to dish out some beers too. But like my knowledge of art is very low and what it is from is from viewing things that you've posted. Um, and dude, that's why I like the fact that you don't just post up finished products, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, you post up, I'm constantly seeing, you know, halfway through work, constantly seeing you saying I'm scrapping this starting over. Like it makes me feel as like I feel like you know what you want to do in life, right? Like you you got it down pat. You know you want to be an artist, man. You're following your dream. So like for me, it's like man, I, like I, like I like what I do for a living. I like you know everything about my life. But at the same time, it's like you're posting things that if if I if I were to fail at something or I just wasn't hacking it, 
Mm-hmm. I'm not. And that sounds bad when I put it that way because you are hacking it. But if I feel like I'm stuck or I need to start over, I'm not posting about that on Instagram. Right. You know what I mean? I, I feel like that's natively impacting me. But you're like, man, that's part of my life. You yeah. know, you've accepted like, hey, that shit happens, and everybody, and it happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's who's going to publicly say yes. Like, you yeah, know. And, and I think half of that comes through that kind of other half of my life as as an educator. Yeah. Um, and you know. A lot of what art education is, um, is creative problem solving and it's teaching students how to overcome failure. And if I'm not being transparent on that, where should, uh, the students have the kind of, uh, why should they listen to me if I'm not, you know, practicing what I preach? I I think that's a very noble because coming from an IT standpoint, uh, not necessarily, not even necessarily an IT standpoint. I've worked for many managers uh, that aren't willing to do what they're asking you to do, mm-hmm. right? So as an educator, you're not managing somebody, but you are teaching them. And, and in an aspect, that's what managers should be doing because they've been through it. They're on to the next phase in life or next phase in the career. They should be teaching you, hey, this is, I went through this. Learn from yeah. my mistakes. Let's take, you know, the smarter route and do you know, something that will ease the pain and get you farther ahead. Yeah. But, yeah. but some people ask you to do things or, t- you know, teach you things that they aren't willing to do or they didn't do or they don't know. Um, and kind of putting that belief. I, I have a question uh, that I want to ask regarding that. Uh, do you find more, uh, do you find it more fulfilling to be an artist or be an educator? And you can take these routes. Why not both? You can can say both. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, I I find them, I find them very intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do in art is extremely personal. um, So it fulfills me on that level. Um, It also fuels some narcissism that I have. I mean, all artists have narcissistic tendencies because you're making the statement that what I'm doing is important enough for everyone to view, <laughs> yeah. um, which is such a crazy, when you think about it, who does that? <laughs> Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. As um, we make a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Everybody look at us. Please. And <laughs> so you need that. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a part of the, the education, but, um, at the same time, it's separate and that I'm, I'm helping these students on their journey. Um, and you, you had said before that there are, points where why can't you just you know tell them i went through this and and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff um but there are points as an educator where you have to let them fail yeah you have to set them because you can't give them all the answers Mm -hmm. and i think that's the difference between teaching and managing yeah is that when you're teaching you're kind of in this uh almost incubator Mm mm-hmm where you are expressing all these ideas and having them go through them. If they work, they work. If they don't, they don't. But teaching them in this um, safe space where it is okay to take these risks and how to approach those risks. And um, that feels very fulfilling to me. Sick. I'm actually going to use both of them too. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly, man, I, like, I knew you were going to take the both route. I just want to know why on each. You know I mean? <laughs> gotta go like, when you gotta go. Yeah. So I guess a little disclaimer to all my college students out there: take some fucking art classes. Because yeah, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of try to cheat my sort of fine arts gen eds. I would take like archaeology class or like uh-huh. something that was like cool up front, um, 
But in the end, those classes were designed to just push you through your fine arts credits. And I didn't grow much or gain anything from that that I feel I would have gained much more from like a contemporary art class or some sort of art history class or something like that. I think there's kind of, there are several kind of different pedagogies that apply to different types of students when it comes into um, taking an art class. So you're going to have, at least this is my perspective as a professor, um, you're going to have students come in that are taking it for fun. They need a gen ed. They need to um, release some stress. It's it's totally opposite of whatever it is that they're studying. I've had doctors in my class. I've had um, journalist majors. I've had, you know, the whole gamut. Um, for those students, they're coming in they're going to learn the concepts and I'm going to try to make it as fun as possible for them to kind of get through, experience these things, but it's not necessarily um, about getting to that next level in art. Then I'll have students that are coming in that are trying to figure it out if they want to fully major in art. So I'm going to, I'm going to push them a little harder. I'm going to say, look, this is what you want to do. We're going to feel it out. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to figure this out through this course, you know? Yeah. And then I have students that know that they're going to, you know, pursue art. They want to um, come through at a certain kind of high level and I'm going to, you know, treat them differently. It's, I cater it to each of those students, you know? So that's very good um, that you do that because I've had the experience of someone who didn't do that. So how you evaluate each student. So I had a, what was it? It was like ancient Greek history class. Oh, I got a beer. <laughs> An ancient Greek history class. And he treated us all like we're ancient history majors, even though it was like a 100 level class. Mm -hmm. You know, he's having us sort of memorize different sections of the Iliad and do these super deep evaluations. And like I was putting more hours into that class than I was, you know, the three classes I was that were related to my major because mm -hmm. it was so intensive and crazy. And um, so I guess I just really appreciate that you try to evaluate each student's, uh, I guess, sort of motivation in that class. And at the end of the day, you know, it all, it all comes back to monetary value as well. I'm not here to say I'm better than you as the professor. I'm here to help you get through this class. You're going to learn what you need to learn in this class and you're paying for it at the end of the day. So why am I going to, uh, deprive you of an educational experience if you have a certain reason for taking this class i'm gonna cater to that that's great yeah that ancient history class was the only class i've dropped in college really? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you dropped all your classes <laughs> i've dropped out of college <laughs> i dropped the whole thing hey look there's a little uh socialist degree hanging on that wall over there that's what matters right oh, yeah <laughs> I see it. you see it chances yeah I, it's in the corner but anyways yeah. So I guess we Dude, go. I I would uh, you know, I we talked about like I had a question about like inspiration and like what mm -hmm. kind of drives you, but you know that was kind of uh, naturally found in, in our conversation, which is great. Um, I want to get into your artwork you brought. Yeah, that's what I was about yeah, to say. Yeah, I'm ready sure. for a little like, show and tell. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so right, I, I so I, I want to like I want to I don't not critique them. I want to find stuff out about this artwork. So I want to like you know what kind of drove you to make it mm -hmm. how long you spent on the pieces yeah varies yeah varies that's why I, so let's let's present well, I, guess, I also want to sort of touch on your gallery experience is mm -hmm. that do you just write something up have you ever had to like present your art like this or 
Um, yeah, I mean, you've had quite a bit of gallery experience solo. Yeah, I've, I've had solo shows. Um, I had a solo show in DC, um, at Hillier art space, which was supposed to be opening next week. Um, was that the 2019 one? No, you no, one um, this one's supposed to be right? opening next week. Okay. Um, but the gallery, it, it was a huge honor to be a part of, it's such a prestigious space. Um, but because of COVID they ended up kind of folding, they're going to reassess in January if they can actually survive, um, but doesn't look likely because it's, um, you know, it's it's such a, a grant-generated space mm. right on Embassy Road, right in DuPont Circle. So, there are going to be a lot of people kind of coming through. Love Embassy Road. Uh, that place is... Yeah. Me and Chan drive up, and whenever we go to DC, mm-hmm. that is the spot we make sure we go to. Yeah, so it was gonna be, it was gonna be good. Um, but yeah, I've shown up and down the East Coast. I've I had shows in Florence. Um, yeah, I'm just show wherever I can, whenever I can. Um, I've I've shown in galleries. I've shown in alternative spaces. I've shown in tattoo shops. I've shown in, you know, people's basements that uh, turn their basement into a gallery. Um, you've shown in people's guest bedrooms that are on a podcast show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean, uh, anywhere just, you can, how, anywhere I can really. How would you feel if someone got your art tattooed that a sort of a tattoo artist is recreating your art on the someone? I wouldn't mind that at all. <laughs> a buddy of mine actually, I feel like that could be a touchy subject for someone. Well, uh, a friend of mine wants to actually, he, he <clears throat> asked me, he's like, let's just go get these, the anxiety bags just tattooed on our thighs yeah. just right now. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want that on me. Uh, <laughs> I got um, enough t-shirts. Just buy a bunch of t-shirts. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep wearing them. <laughs> Damn, dude. Or no, money moves. Buy some t-shirts. Yeah, yeah Tattoo t-shirts. Too. Buy my yeah. t-shirts. Yeah, just buy my t-shirts. A lot cheaper. Yeah. A lot cheaper. <laughs> and you can buy two. Every color. Every color you want. That's Anyways, cool. let's go. Yeah. All right, let's just, let's check this piece. So, this piece, I don't know how far away or where I'm uh, actually showing this. So, yeah. So, the camera show will get here? you, right? Yeah. It'll get everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you want, um, you can put it center. We I'll can pass it around, take a look. Show if you don't you mind us, no, and then uh, do you mind us touching it? I yeah, don't, no, that's fine. Just don't, just don't touch the face of it. Just don't peel the tape. Yeah. So well, this is like the fun. Layer. This is the fun fact. Can you show that to the camera real quick, Jesse? Like show it up high. Okay. So, like I said, I've known Jesse, or I've known Jeremy for years. I've always viewed his art on Instagram, and I one thousand percent always thought that he actually just put painters tape on it. And I was like, you know what? Again, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at it through your eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know why, but honestly, I don't care. It just works. Yeah. So he brought the the like painters tape or the tape or the paint layer. Oh, that's supposed to be the painters yeah. tape. It looks like I could like peel it off. So it's the almost fun, like above the rest. Yeah. So the fun fact is painted on top. Uh, it's not tape. He actually painted yeah. it to portray tape, and I'm like one thousand percent incorrect. That's not tape, but I'll be damned if I'm looking at it from a foot away. If this doesn't look like tape still. <laughs> and the uh, itchy. when you look close, <laughs> when you look close, you can see the, the wood grain in the back. That's all painted as well. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess it's also worth noting this is wood. It's not like Yeah, this canvas. isn't canvas. Okay. Yeah, I, I choose not to paint on canvas because um, painting on wood adds a certain level of physicality to the work. So I can, you know, I can sand it. I can push into it. I can get really rough with it. And... It's not going to have any give when you paint on a canvas. Mm-hmm. It tends to be a little softer. Um, also, when it's on a wall, canvas tends to be a little passive. But when you paint on panel, it's so sharp and crisp that um, it automatically asserts itself as an object when you walk into the room. 
So do you yeah. have to make these little sort of wood mediums? Uh, some or? I make, some I just buy. Um, it, it depends on my budget and time span. This is sweet, man. Can you, can, you t- can you tell us a little background, a little backstory on this? Yeah, so uh, I've been using the smiley faces for a while. They kind of oh. come out of... Uh, I'm going to be honest, I thought it was a frog. But no, I said smiley <laughs> yeah. face, I see that's like peeled So in. They, they come out of uh, a memory I had when I would always leave my house when I was younger and my mom would always say, have a nice day. And I never really replied to her like, oh, you too. Mm. Oh, I will. Um, I always said, I'll try. Mm. So... I started thinking about that in relationship to kind of my outlook on life, even from a young age and pulling in those anxieties and things that I was feeling and dealing with. Um, And then I started thinking about, well, what else says have a nice day? And those takeaway bags, they always say have a nice day. Um, They're always portrayed having this happy face, you know, Um, thank you, come again, uh, so they are this thing that is meant to be disposed of. Um, you can't see its contents inside, uh, and they're constantly reaffirming to the outside world, I'm happy, have a nice day, mm-hmm. everything's great. But that's not necessarily how life is. Yeah. So I use these smiley faces as almost like masks for everyday situations. Um, this piece here, this smaller piece, is called uh, Life as a Dog-Eared Page. Um, so being that steady person in someone's life that you're constantly, you know, being turned back to. So that dog-eared page that someone is constantly referring to, um, to help them out, but yet, or even in a relationship, always being (laughs) come back to, but never being kind of the full story, never being a part of, um, someone that, that they that you can then come to them for. Um, you're you're always that dog-eared page. Damn. How long did, like, you know, did you just have this idea? I mean, dude, because like I said, man, I know nothing about art. Like, so um, my work, when I have to do something, I just I, I just do that straight <laughs> arrow, right? So for you, if you get an idea, do you just go right to it? For me, I'm uh, I'm weird like that. Most, most artists tend to, um, they'll draw out thumbnail sketches. They'll... Um, you know, work through ideas in their sketchbook. I have a sketchbook for kind of getting the very basic drawn out scribbly lines of whatever it is I'm going to do. It makes sense to me. Um, and then I just execute it on the actual scale. Um, it's not necessarily cost effective to do that way, but that's how <laughs> I, I work. Um, so this piece, I was thinking about the tape, you know, being this, uh, it's, it's a temporary hold, um, and it's something I can easily paint in a trompe effect, meaning that it looks like it's there, but it's not really. Um, so it's another affirmation of tricking you to think it's there, but it's not in terms of, oh, I'm happy, but I'm not really happy. So it's this temporary hold. Um, and that's how that kind of plays into it. Damn. That's awesome, man. Um, so this piece uh, you were asking about kind of length, of time that Mm. it took me um it was on one of those panels that i worked on sanded down worked on sanded down had it in the corner of my studio had this idea and you know i I painted it in a night sick um yeah and then the length with this one over here yeah um i painted that within the span of six hours yeah 
Mm-hmm. Let's show it. Bring yeah. the thing up. <clears throat> Again. I want the camera to really see that tape. <laughs> yeah, we can get like, some close-up pictures and dude, then throw, them, throw them in. Like, honestly, I'm ashamed. Like, like I really feel like... I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's probably... So, that's the top. I mean, su- <laughs> success for you, right? Because, like, you know, I've been living a lot with this tape thing. I thought that was legit painter's tape just still sticking on there. And, yeah. I was, and then I just... You know, but I thought, like, maybe you, like... I honestly don't know, man. I, I just... So this one, this one's uh, titled "Happy Hour on Saturdays," um, but <laughs> Saturday is not spelt how you would spell the day of the week. It is spelt like S A D D E R. So it's kind of a play on Saturday. words that way. <laughs> so what's your emotion behind it? Um, it's they're the same concepts. So I can tell you how like I feel about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't. Know, I feel like like. On a Saturday, like I should be filled with happy emotions. Weekend, if I was a balloon, I'd be full blown, mm-hmm. right? I'd be floating away in the sky. Like I'd be so happy. But this guy's just barely hanging up there, deflated, upside down, still wearing a smile. You know, maintaining that facade for yeah. everyone that uh, just make sure everybody knows I'm still happy. Exactly. But even though you might not be, you don't yeah. want them to worry. Damn. That's sick. Man. So, what made you choose to make it a circle? Does that have any? significance or yeah so um so the circle i started painting on the circles when i started painting smiley faces there's a couple pieces i have um where i just use the round panel as the basic outline for a smiley face and then i was painting on top of that you know so it's just the repetition of that shape Mm -hmm. um i thought it would be interesting for this composition um so i just went through with it it's awesome dude so what's your plan for these um, so I make them, they sit in my studio and then if someone wants to buy them, they buy them. Um, if they're around when I have kind of a concept for a show coming up, um, they'll go into that show. Sometimes pieces get weeded out, but I always keep working as if I have a show coming up yeah. that way when I'm presented with the opportunity, I can continue to work. Um, the artist, Giorgio O'Keefe said that, at any time, an artist should have enough paintings in their studio for three separate solo shows. And I I constantly work with that in mind. Sick, man. That's what, uh, that's, I've seen like your studio and you, I know you got some pieces. <laughs> Definitely. Which I, if you haven't, like, I know we already touched upon it, but, uh, to you galleries, right? Yeah. To you galleries. That's where my show is up currently. And- they're, you got two major pieces, larger pieces, right? Two larger pieces, yeah. yeah. Um, two five by five paintings. Yeah. And I will tell you that the the pictures are crisp. You can <laughs> zoom in and get really in detail with that. And it's 360, so you can see other people's work too. But they're two large, uh, two large images. That's sick, man. I, dude, I, I, I'm honestly still thinking about how I still think this is tape. Like if I, like if I didn't know this, man, I would. Think you just like slapped the staple there, man. I was like, that's it for uh, for certain competitions and things like that. I'm sure that uh, some of the judges may think that as well. Yeah. Um, so does art get judged? I mean, is that oh, is yeah. that a thing? Yeah. All the time, and okay. it, it might not necessarily work out in my favor because they might just think, oh, he's got post-its, he's got blue tape on his he's painting. Got you, <laughs> and, yeah, you're close yeah. to it, man. <laughs> they uh, they might not notice it. Yeah. Damn, until they until they do and until like, they you do know what? Yeah. hey give this guy first place that's it <laughs> um, give it to him so there's you know 
multiple kind of competitions that happen annually that a bunch of artists will apply for. Um, and they're always a bit of a long shot. Um, and there's always political aspects as well. Um, but yet there's, there's kind of a lot of my solo shows I've had through submitting to open calls. So there'll be an open call and I submit a kind of plan for a show, what I want it to be about. These are the works that are going to be in it. They get back to me if I got it or not. Nice. Yeah. So it's a good job interview. All, All the, time. the time. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's all about stress. <laughs> well, the same thing happens with, you know, being an adjunct professor. You know, none of my jobs are full time. Yeah. So I have to teach at multiple schools. I have to basically reapply every semester because I don't know if I'm going to be getting that job back. Mm. Um, and it's all based on class availability. Um student population all that good stuff damn uh how is how's covid affecting that uh, uh, your, yeah, it's yeah. um it's rough two of my schools have dropped my classes yeah. um but two of the other ones are still up and running Sick. um the two schools that are up and running they're going to be doing hybrid classes so i'll come in and i'll do kind of a lecture and a demo and then get the hell out of there. Yeah. And uh, the second class of the week will be an online critique. Um, and then I'll talk about different things throughout the other online classes. And then we'll meet again to talk about the next demo. Mm -hmm. And then go back to having online critique. So they're, sadly, I will say the students are kind of missing half of what it is that they're yeah. paying for in terms of um, art instruction. Uh Basically, there's only so many video tutorials I can make, but they're not getting the hands-on, me being behind them, showing them how to see things differently. They're kind of losing that adjustment of perspective in their work. If I was personally a student going into my freshman year of college, I would defer for a year, yeah. um, you know, because nothing changes. You know, you're... I mean, you, you would have a year to kind of sit around and it's not like you can really get a job doing yeah. anything with COVID. But uh, if you're going to spend 50 grand a year to go to school, you mm -hmm. want to spend 50 grand on something that's yeah. going to be worth it. That makes complete sense, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, dude, I couldn't imagine going to school right now. I mean, like, I'd hate to go to school then, but like, I can't imagine like the schooling aspect. Mm -hmm. There's some classes where it, it works really well, like uh, my 2D design class that, that can be completely online and the mm -hmm. students aren't going to miss anything. Yeah. Um, there's art history classes where they're not going to miss anything. Um, it's more so the, the hands-on technique um, where I'm guiding kind of their hand, their motion, seeing how they execute in real time and making those adjustments with them that they're, they're missing. Yeah. I'm assuming we're probably pushing a good amount of time right now, right? We're like an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, I want. I have. A, I have more questions, man. I'll be honest with you. Like normally, we're like, you know, we've had a couple of beers. We're ready to like wrap up, but dude, like, yeah, I, I feel like, a we haven't talked in so long. B I've never really talked to you about your work or you know uh, anything uh, past sports. That's why I want to get off that topic and into your into your work. We can always do a part two. That's yeah. very true. <laughs> Wait, there's second times that we are allowed to talk to people in life. <laughs> um i want to know a uh a day in life dude you know i mean i, I know like you know yeah. obviously t now is not like the ideal day weird. right yeah, yeah. it's very weird weirder than most yeah. uh 
But no, I mean, I want to know, like, if you're teaching, are you hitting the studio or, you, you know, are you sleeping? You know, because I know you got some uh, some artwork out there with the title of uh, Insomnia. You yeah, know, you know, you yeah. Know. Um, so I don't sleep much. <laughs> um, but when I do sleep, I, I kind of crash. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost as, as though I feel like I'm on a doctor's schedule in, in a certain uh, regard because – in order to hit all the things that I want to keep doing, I almost have to micro nap in order to have these things happen. So I'm constantly on the road back and forth between Philly and Baltimore. Um, when I'm playing rugby, my practices are anywhere between uh, 5.30 in the afternoon to uh, I have some that have started at 11.30 at night. Um, so I'm up in Philly for that. I'm teaching between Philly and Baltimore. So, I'm you know, if I have to... Uh, if I have a class at eight o'clock, starting at eight o'clock on Friday, I'm leaving my house at five o'clock to go up there, get everything set up, start at eight, come back home, go to the gym, go to the studio, um, take a nap in between somewhere next day, do it again, different school. Um, I'll drive out to Carroll County, I'll come back, um, I'll grab something quick to eat, drive up to Philly for practice, come back, finish my lesson plan. Next morning, I'm in cecil teaching you know and then same thing happens and then i'm at drexel or i'll crash on a friend's couch in philly if i'm teaching at drexel that day or if i'm teaching at one of the other schools in in uh philadelphia and yeah it's just doing whatever i can to make it work you know do you find joy in that that where you find your comfort (laughs) um i mean it's you know i mean it's exciting i've taken i've taken art classes where i feel like the teacher's just been like pay me to be here you know what uh, I mean? Well, but do you I, feel like that? Oh, like that's not me. Just love being there. You know what I mean? Like, I absolutely you would love not it. sleep just to get to class on time to teach your students. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's. I mean that's the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, so. and then it's um it's extremely energizing too. Whenever I leave class, I I feel, I know I'm inspired by the work that the students are doing. Um, their perspectives, the conversations that I'm having with them. Um, sometimes they see things I can't. Yeah. And it's it's all about just kind of building that dialogue. And and I, I'm a true believer in the fact that teachers learn just as much from their students as as they do from them. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, that's sick. Like I've thoroughly loved this conversation. It's been <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I was I've been thinking about this the whole time. This is the first time we've had a guest that's really outside our zone so i thought about this earlier right this is the first guest that we have had on the show that you don't know like right you've never had contact with this guy Mm -hmm. you know so like you've maybe not known some of the guests like very personally but you've had contact and you've had you know communications with them before so i was like you know what this is gonna be a great first episode where jesse's gonna ask questions (laughs) because he thoroughly doesn't know the answer right right and i'm like you know what I don't know the answer to them. <laughs> I'm like, it's going to be a great, like I, this conversation. Like, all our awesome, previous man. guests I see multiple times a week. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So it's like, yeah, nah, dude, it's sick. So I will say that Shan threw together a little format, uh, with questions <laughs> and stuff, man. And, and it was probably the most organized format we've had. Cause usually it's like, we think of a couple questions that we really want to ask. And that's where we want to hit. Um, she put one in here that like, I, because it's you, I really wanted the answer to it. But if you could be any fictional character, who would you be? That's a that's a really hard question, I, I, and, that's, <laughs> and that's exactly why you were you were like, do do you ask me questions now, or do you ask them on the cuff? My like, no, dude, I want your raw answer. Well, I want you to tell me that one. We had a like, moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really think I'm in a job interview where I have to like, can I have a moment to answer this question? And did um, 
who could I who could I be? Is that that's what the question was. Yeah, I, if you could be any I'm fictional character, character, who would it be? Chris is meet a better question. Um, it, sure. I mean, if you want, if you can meet, but I, I mean, I think it was like if you want. I mean, dude, you're like, in my opinion, like, dude, I'm, I'm loving everything I'm getting from your lifestyle. Do I want to wake up and be a Power Ranger every day? Yeah. Or do I just want to meet a Power Ranger? Like, um, That's true. It's, so, a very, it's a bit difficult question. I will say when I was, when I was younger, I was a huge Harry Potter fan. And I mean, yeah. I still am a huge Harry Potter fan. That kind of um, shit don't leave you. When I was, we, cause we grew up, we're the same age as the characters in the movies. Yeah. And we're mm-hmm. literally kind of growing with them. Mm-hmm. So, when I was entering middle school, I would get on a bus at my home middle school and then go over to Parkville for the Mm -hmm. magnet program. So, in my head, if I was ever kind of nervous or anything like that, I would kind of go back to that, like, oh, Harry Potter went away to, he went away to school to to go learn this thing that is so different. Um, And I was learning art and I kind of constantly had that... uh, that same thought in my head, like I'm, I'm doing this for a purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm going away. I'm going to have an adventure with it. Um, yeah. So that almost kind of pops into the, you know, Bilbo Baggins aspect too. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah. Let's go have an adventure. Um, I will tell you, Shannon's never seen Lord of the Rings. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I literally just rewatched them a couple yeah. weeks. Ago. So we have, we actually have, the, we have the DVDs. <laughs> oh, she has tried. She, she fell asleep like uh, ten minutes into it. That's uh, why I watched on the plane ride from here to thailand yeah it's oh, just nice. the extended editions fill up the whole Dude, time yeah. the, lord of the, the lord of the rings it it's it is the story the story is great but the i guess the movie for the time that it was brought out mm-hmm. it was just it, it was so good man it was a complete epic it, that it had was. never been done before and like everybody's like oh well, it's kind of long and boring i'm like yeah but i can say it for the titanic yeah you know i mean like Titanic was which I also boring. rewatched recently, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, this I guess still it's still kind of like, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like the original Star Wars trilogy of like our age. It's like the yeah. Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, I do. Lord of the Rings kind of like push that movie boundary and mm-hmm. yeah, and it was just like yeah, I even people that weren't necessarily um, fans of the fantasy genre. Yeah, you know they they saw it and they absolutely yep. loved it. Same with Game of Thrones. Same yep. with uh, you guys watched The Witcher. Ah, dude, I haven't. I did. I haven't. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but yeah, um, I like <laughs> it. The, the show was really well done. He gets on me about not playing the game because the graphics aren't as good. I've never played the game. I I played I played it for like ten minutes. I'm like, dude, I can't get down with it. <laughs> the graphics ha- like because it's the I think the story you were saying the storyline is so good and then and the graphics for that time yeah. So actually, so to be honest, I just I've only played the third game, and I just really like the gameplay, the story is very convoluted mm. but the show is really helping me understand the story which is really nice mm. yeah i couldn't get down i will i'm a uh, basic call of duty guy <laughs> play it religiously where are we dropping boys where are we dropping War boys <laughs> I, it's honestly my first battle royale too yeah. i've uh, i've never been a big gamer like ever i think <laughs> that's what's interluded to my career mm-hmm. you know because i think i yeah honestly it sucks i feel really bad for shining because like i sit here all day <laughs> And then I'll go downstairs and I'll sit there for hours and play video games. It's like, I, 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 like, I, feel, I feel like I'm like neglecting. Shannon's like, Shannon. I'm fine. I got TikTok. Nah, I mean, YouTube TV. <laughs> you know what's really crazy is when we, when, when we had our apartment, <laughs> he leaves me alone. When we had our apartment, uh, it was obviously smaller. But in the living room, I had a desk, kind of like I have downstairs with my 
computer and my gaming console. So she would sit there and watch movies and I would sit there and play video games for hours and we were spending time together. Yeah. We would talk. We would like, she would show me stuff. And it was like, it was a time where we both had our own time, but at the same time it was meshed. That's ideal for me. That's good. And Which a is couple nice. and a partner. It's healthy. Yeah. yeah. So when we, when we moved here, I had my, I originally had my desk in the basement. So she would come down and watch shows sometimes. And then I had my desk up here and I was playing games and I wasn't getting a good enough internet connection. So I was like, hey, I need to put a desk in the living room so I can connect right to the router. She's like, all right. I was like, dude, we spend hours together in the living room every day. We talk. She shows me, she sends me TikToks. I sit there and laugh, turn around and talk to her. <laughs> like, it's just like we're spending time together. It's very, I feel like that's what's kept us very content during quarantine mm-hmm. is we're together every minute of the day. But at the same time, like we can kind of separate and do yeah, our own thing. Yeah, yeah, that's important. It is nice. Dude, it's been a, a sick conversation. I'm super glad you got to go into this uh, adventure yeah. <laughs> with you because, honestly, like Harry Potter, right? You have a you have a <laughs> skill, in my opinion, that not a lot of people have. That you're going, you went and learned. You know how to make it as crisp as possible, or as crisp as you wanted it to be. And now you're, you know, it's one of those professions everyone thinks about, but not very many people do. Yeah. Or even now the people that do try it, you know, not many very make it. Yeah. And I also, I feel like, uh, you know, and I I feel like you've touched upon it, but like what exactly is making it Mm -hmm. right? You know what I mean? Like at what point in time do you say I'm successful? Hard to define. Say being able to eat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there are a bunch of people that I graduated with, um, and I know it was difficult for them. But eventually, uh, they stopped pursuing their art careers. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's common for art school. Um, mm-hmm. but they still have enough college training to where they, you know, they're, they're, they're successful now and making more money than I am. Yeah. I mean, um, but what is money? What is time? Exactly. You know? But there's, uh, it's, it's always a hard conversation to have with someone that's deciding to go to art school. Um, and it also needs to be framed around what their goals are mm-hmm. in terms of what do you want to do when you get out of here? Because honestly, it's a very hard answer to say, oh, I'm going to be an artist. Yeah. Um, but there are so many creative avenues that you can do something creative post art school. Um, so that's another kind of pivot. You always have to pivot as an artist. I went to an artist residency when I was in high school, actually, and they flew me out to Colorado and I got to, um, you know, go and take classes with these professional artists for two weeks. Um, and that was also an amazing time. I still keep in touch with all those people. Uh, some of them actually went to college with me, which is kind of wild. Um, but Charles Parness was one of the artists there. And he told me, he goes, you know, you're, you're coming out of high school you have say 15 kids with you that are, you know, in the art program, they're dedicated to it. Leave high school. Half of them are going to stop. Go to college. Say you go to whatever kind of college you go to. You're still majoring in art. Once you leave, half of them are going to stop. Then half of them are going to go to grad school and get their masters of fine arts. Then once they leave, probably Every five years after that, there's going to be half of them yeah. still doing what it is that they're doing. And it's not necessarily because they don't want to. They can still maintain an art practice and and have, um, you know, other jobs. But it's a redefining of what their priorities are. 
And um, not saying that that's a, a bad thing, um, but I'm still at it because I'm kind of dumb enough to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and do what you, you know? love. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a choice at this point. I mean, you know, I think uh, I've always looked. So I thought about when you made the comment of you um, electing not to go to Eastern Tech for engineering mm-hmm. and going to Patapsco for art school. A, why you made the decision? What was like your driving factor? Because you said you have to ask yourself, what are you doing with this degree? What are mm-hmm. you doing with this education that you're about to obtain? And then were there ever any thoughts on this journey that you were like, I got to start doing something else? You know what I mean? Like, were you oh, ever yeah. thinking yeah. like, hey, man, this is I, – I got to cut it out and start doing something else? Because – what the tale is all this time they say the uh you know you never work a day in your life if you're doing something you love yeah um i honestly think do you feel like there's no turning back i mean at at this point for me um with with the amount that i have invested and the the goals that i want to accomplish yeah that there is no turning back um do you think it's a bad thing no you know i mean you're all in right you push your chips in the middle of the table and you're just waiting for the cars to drop exactly that's good dude yeah I, i you know i it takes a very honorable person. I feel like it really takes a, a, a strong-willed person to make that decision because you do have – at some point in time, no matter what you're doing, whether it be going to get your master's degree because once you're putting uh, such a narrow focus on one thing, mm-hmm. you are going all in on your life. Um, and it's very hard to turn around once you become 28 years old, 29 years yeah. old, 30. You start you know, having getting married, buying stuff. Like You have to afford those things that you're yeah. buying. So there, then your financial strain is like there is – definitely no turning back yeah and i I will say that there's been multiple times where i've i've pivoted to make certain things work Mm -hmm. so within my life i've cut down on a lot of um excess Mm -hmm. Um, i still have some extravagances here and there Mm -hmm. but uh everyone does but i've also you know i'll take that extra portrait commission it's not what I do in terms of my art practice, but I'll paint your dog, you know, yeah. for a paycheck. I'll paint murals. You know, I, I, I kind of do the whole gamut kind of cheering those things. I won't present it as my kind of full practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of artists find shame in doing that, but um, that's that's not where I come from. Yeah. You know, I, I got I to gotta pay the bills. So yeah. I, even if I, uh, you know... It, it's such a weird thing to to think about, but, you know, I'm a professor here, you know, and I'm teaching and I'm also in the studio making my art, but, you know, maybe things aren't going well at one point. You might see me bartending, yeah. you know, but I'll still have those other outlets yeah. still going. Stop, um, yeah, you'll never stop doing what you love. Right. Yeah, which is cool, man. Um, yeah. I guess, so I, I want to ask, uh, so we can show it, are these pieces for sale? Yeah. And then where can we check out Everything's always for sale. Then where can we (laughs) check out to, like, go see your other art? Um, Um, So my my website needs to be updated, but you can go on to www.jeremyjersa.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-J-I-R-S-A.com. And then most of my kind of current stuff that I'm working on, and you can see it being worked on – and it pops up more frequently, it would be on my Instagram, which is just at Jeremy Jersa. Um, and then if you ever see anything that you like or enjoy, you can just DM me and we'll work out payment plans or <laughs> if you want to come pick it up. Yeah. Sick, dude. So, uh, 
Any other people you want to shout out, man? Like, I know you've had some people that are really influential in your life, people that have really kind of gotten you where you are today. Um, I, honestly, there's too many to name. I yeah. will say I have been extremely lucky to have probably a teacher and mentor at every point in my life um, to get me where I am today. And without that support system um, inside the classroom and also on the sports field or just, you know, people around my neighborhood uh, or friends in general, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the confidence that y'all instilled in me. Yeah, so. Honestly, yeah. dude, it's it's exciting to see. I will say that, <clears throat> you know, to see you pursuing something and, dude, you're just all in. That's It's exciting to stand on the, on the outskirts and see that. You know what I mean? To overlook it and, and kind of not be a part of it, but just be along for the ride. You know, watch it from the ground up. Uh, so it's definitely I appreciate been, that. It, it's been awesome to see. And, you know, and it's cool listening to the things that I didn't know on the ride. You know, I got to see it through my eyes, but I really didn't talk to you about it. Never, mm -hmm. you know, heard these stories and stuff like that. And I learned even more. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, you know, now I get to hear, like now when we talk about this after uh, the show, I get to kind of hear his aspect on it and like his ideas, which is really and cool. I quit my job and become an artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And podcast and bartender, all the things you need to do to survive. And I do. So I, before we wrap up, because uh, I alluded to it at the beginning, uh, my favorite piece that you've ever made is the truck tailgate piece. Oh yeah, all time favorite. I've told her that multiple times. I remember when you when you showed it, I commented on it a couple times, dude. And it was just like, it was like my all time favorite piece. And you have to dig pretty far back on your Instagram to find yeah, that yeah. one. But that one's probably my favorite. And well, I, I don't even remember what it was titled. I remember there was a beer can on the back. On the yeah, tailgate, so there right? was a beer can on the back of a tailgate that. Uh, I found on the side of the road and then mounted on the wall. And then this is when I was like still figuring out kind yeah. of a bunch of things. Um, and so I took a spray paint can and I shotgunned the spray paint can. I just yeah. stabbed it with a screwdriver and then wherever it went on the wall with this. So it became this kind of installation almost. And then I, I think I even had a shirt that was on it too. Mm -hmm. Um, that kind of all stemmed from, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of self-medication and mm -hmm. things like that and then uh you know a lot of my friends you know drinking on a tailgate and yeah. bringing that kind of aspect of some for some people the party doesn't end for wrong reasons yeah. um just kind of exploring that it's really cool so like on that aspect like i was still exploring still so in my mind is like maybe because you were talking about like uh correcting students and stuff like that and like mm -hmm. saying like hey like you know like maybe we should venture into this i feel like maybe some of like the failure pieces or things that maybe you don't have the greatest of uh admiration when you put it up on a wall mm -hmm. like hey this isn't it Dude, that might be some of the best pieces the, i mean you know what i mean like in the eye who's of the holder, you know yeah. exactly you exactly. know which is this is which is crazy and I, I won't um i know there's a lot of my friends and contemporaries that will go back on their Instagram feed and, and delete, you know, say work that they've made 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go back and do that. I mean, you can see my trajectory if you really want to see it. It's your life, man. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to, I mean, half my work is about putting up a facade. So I need my work to be as pure as possible. And you can see where it's came from and kind of what those influences are. So if I'm editing that, I'm not necessarily being true to my practice. Yeah. Nah, man. It's 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 fun to see the the process, mm -hmm. right? And the process doesn't start 
last week, a month ago, a year ago. It starts a long time ago. Yeah. So it's definitely cool to see that. And and again, I don't pay attention to art that much, man. I, I, I'm going to take the lame ass excuse if I'm too busy. I don't really get to read up on like what is out there. I mean, you see more art than you're aware of. One, I, I 100% believe you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like just like the crabs and the horse and stuff on the side of the silos down mm-hmm. by the stadiums. I, like one day I just drove past. I'm like, damn, who the hell painted that? Like who mm-hmm. just, you know, who, yeah. well, I didn't see that. Well, you, you can go as, as far as to say, you know, I mean, everything is designed. Yeah. So beer bottle. Exactly. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, Artists literally create your memories in a certain sense. You know, they they say, um, without architecture, can we really have memories? And I didn't really understand that until a couple weeks ago where I was just kind of sitting there and thinking about thinking of memories. Mm -hmm. And architecture gives a certain place to everything. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying, oh, I remember Disney World. Well, what, what kind of sets that apart from last week walking down the street it's yeah. it's the architecture that surrounds you it's this environment it's this designed experience of mm-hmm. your life and so art plays a factor into literally every aspect of what you experience on a daily basis damn dude just like my in my peripherals as you're saying that right like I'm, <laughs> I'm like i'm looking at like this image that we have of matt weeders like somebody, yeah, matt weeders is somebody, really <laughs> somebody design but somebody designed that to yeah. hang on a light post down at camden yards you know what yeah. i mean like the background the fans are in the background mm-hmm. You know, and like that, and then uh, probably an unpaid intern. I, dude, don't get me started on the Orioles organization, man. The Orioles and money don't go hand in hand, so you're probably one thousand percent on with that one. Well, anyways, no. I think it's a good place to end. Keep yeah, the dude. people thinking. So I, I do. I wanted to do this, but then I was sitting there thinking, like, let's talk off air. I want to buy a piece from you today, like one thousand percent. Okay. So, um, I really like this little one, but. I don't want to throw out prices and time and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely want to get a piece from you. And uh, I want to put it like back here on this wall. So it'll be on our podcast. Sounds good. Yeah. So, but I'm good with, and in there, man, it was fun. I honestly feel like I've learned a lot. Could like definitely I, you know, in yeah. a second episode. Oh, dude. And I'm down. Uh, and in that one, we're going to do like where you bring somebody to drive you home so we can drink more beers. <laughs> Sounds good. Because <laughs> I feel like that's when we get into like the crazy stories of uh, Uruguay and Argentina. Wild stories. Yeah. I imagine. I imagine. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. Coffee Bar Podcast. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, check out, uh, like, you know, he's already said it. Jeremy Jersa. Jersa. Yes. Last name J I R S A. We'll yeah. definitely, you know, tag him and everything. Yeah, so dude. We will get the links. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah. Yeah, Same appreciate it. it. Thanks. Later.